0: Hey, folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Turn it up. Oh, Just doing a quick mouth solo there. Man. Hey, crowdfunders, I'm back. Man, been a couple days off here, but we're in... uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're going to try to just launch these once a week, even though we're rocking and rolling here with a bunch of new episodes actually in the can. Um, we're going to have a little secret episode that's going to go out tomorrow. Secret, secret, secret. But coming up on today's episode, we're going to be talking to Gannon, the owner of a company called Bass Rock, um, and they are currently raising money on Kickstarter right now for um, the world's first backpack for music lovers. Yep. What this backpack does is, uh, it's got like speaker things in it, so you can feel the low end, and it's got a hydration pack in it. So, really, really great conversation. And what was cool about this conversation is, I actually um, talked to Ganon about six, seven months ago, prior to launch. Um, he reached out just to ask for opinions and and um, you know thoughts, and I was more than willing to be helpful and 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 share what uh, what I know. And it looks like he took up a a lot of the info, and we talked about that too in in our interview. So that interview is coming up later. So... But you, know, you might be wondering right now, this might be your first time listening, what am I actually going to be talking about? Well, Successfully Funded is all about talking to project creators while they're in the middle of running an active crowdfunding campaign um, or a campaign that's just ended um, because we want to have the most up-to-date information um, for you, to, the listener, to hear what, what companies are doing, what emotions they're going through, what they're feeling, um, maybe some strategies that they might be using in the middle of a campaign to keep the momentum going, whatever it might be. That's what we're trying to um, trying to do here, and we're doing pretty good here. I mean, we're over like ninety episodes, man. It's we're we're kicking butt, and the stories just keep getting more and more and more rich, man. Which for me personally. I mean, I'm living a little bit vicariously right now, right? Like, I love hearing these stories of entrepreneurs making stuff. Gannon's got great stories today too, where we, you know, we talk about his, um, you know, his upbringing and and how he got to the point where he's working on this, um, uh, on this, uh, this new backpack. So, a lot of really, really great stuff going on here, and I appreciate all the listeners out there. So, if you are one of our regular listeners, and there are a bunch of you. I appreciate it. Um, but real quick, before before we jump into what's been going on here, um, I do want to send a um, a request. And I usually put this a little bit later in the podcast, but I'm going to move it up a little bit far, uh, further. If you're enjoying the podcast, do me a couple of favors. Go on iTunes, write a review. That's right. Write a review. Doesn't need to be long. Just say, hey, man, really great info. Appreciate it. That helps out a ton in terms of algorithms and shooting us up the old charts um, to help me get, you know, more and more um, project creators on the uh, podcast. Um, so do that for me. If you think you know somebody that would be into the podcast, right? An entrepreneur or somebody doing startup, somebody thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign, send them this way. Tell them to go listen. So those are the, some things that you can do, my listeners right now, to help uh, help out with Successfully Funded, which we greatly, greatly appreciate. So, I have been, er, you know, looking for, um, because we had a hard drive crash at some point and over the last couple of years, of some old tracks that I wrote that I haven't heard in probably minimum five years. I'll go five years, minimum. It might even be a little bit longer than that. And I was talking to Sean, and I was like, Sean, are you in front of your computer? See if you have these tracks. And lo and behold, Mr. Sean Neal had these tracks. So... Over the next few weeks here we're going to be diving into some deep cuts from the Sugar people catalog and it was for me personally, I had a nice moment a couple of days ago um, where I was just going through these and this reminiscing of my time, where I was in life writing these these tracks um, re, re, you know and also thinking about too the stuff going on um, as i being a really approaching a band as an entrepreneurship right like um, recreating our product, marketing it, trying to use the newest, latest tools. I mean, if you, if this is obviously I'm, I'm dating myself here, but a little bit, but, you know, going back to being on Friendster, being on MySpace, having, I thought a pretty good audience on MySpace built, um, you know, and that led to, you know, songs at auto shows and so on and so forth. So we had, you know, quite a bit of momentum going on, um, behind the band. And it's so funny how often I can tie in, you know, building and and growing a band into what it takes to be an entrepreneur. There's just the, the lines are so blurred and so I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Like a song we're going to be listening to is, is a song called woman. Um, the singer on it um, is a somebody named Corey gold which um, you know I haven't heard I haven't seen him in 10 years probably since um, maybe even a little bit longer um, but he came into my life um, sang on some tracks helped wrote some lyrics here and there um, but o- overall I mean in the last couple of weeks here I've just been exploring um, I don't know' been kind of digging up some... <laughs> Digging up some bodies, basically, and even too, I, I was going in my an old Gmail account, and I found um, I found like letters that I wrote or blog posts that I was going to put up on um, uh, MySpace or and Friendster at the time, right? I, I found these blog posts where if you read that. I read it just a couple days ago. It felt like nothing has changed and it's been so long. It was all about pushing this rock, all about, you know, getting people to to hear this message. And it's funny how much this is tying into, you know, I'm on 20 years now of like just driving to get people to notice something. And that can be whether it's, hey, the new Bass Rock Backpack driving to get people to notice this thing, whether it's a new song, driving people to get to notice that. And really all that I'm fighting for is attention, right? Attention in a world that everybody is fighting for that same attention, right? Everybody is trying to get their three minutes, their 30 seconds. Um, A stat we just saw the other day that That was incredibly intriguing. Was, you know, our landing pages right now, where people are on those between thirteen to sixteen seconds, they're converting, but they're making decisions that fast, and I think that's staggering. So then you start thinking, like, how does a song penetrate right now? If if the attention spans are thirteen seconds, fifteen seconds, twenty seconds, you know, how does your video on Kickstarter? impact. If you don't tell somebody what's going on after about two minutes, you know, or what what the campaign is, you know, it takes two minutes to get to that. Get people to the chorus, people, get people to the hook in your video. That it's so, it's, it's just funny how much it's, it's on my front of my mind right now. Um, just digging through all my old work, digging through the mindset I was in 15 years ago, you know, with a, with the, our first album, the race table story, thinking on how much it's gotten worse, you know, thinking that right now, here's what I, here's what I think a campaign is competing against. Netflix, the news, uh, politic politics. Um, you're competing against the Beatles, you know, or Led Zeppelin. If you're over on Spotify, um, you know, you're competing against the best of the best. You're competing against TV shows, movies, just Facebook posts YouTube videos um, you know you're competing against all of that and what and it's not that you're competing against them product to product you're competing against them for attention that's really that's really what I'm talking about right now so digging in I appreciate all of you guys you guys are giving me you know in our long form here you guys are giving me your attention I can't thank you enough. You know the listeners that we're having, the, the the listeners that we're adding each episode. Thank you, right? Thank you for putting time in to hearing project creator stories, learning about crowdfunding campaigns, learning tips, techniques, all that sort of stuff. It, it really is, it, it is it's awesome. Um, so I appreciate it. But uh, all right, let me get off my soapbox. Let me come back down. You know, and uh, yeah. So interview. It's coming up here. We're going to be talking to Gannon from uh, Bass Rock. And uh, if any of you out there are music festival goers or into hiking, you know, mountain biking, stuff like that, I think this backpack is going to fit a ton of needs for you. So let's kick in my conversation. And uh, here we go. I will
1: not you with words of signal.
0: All right, red light's on. So let's start off with a quick sound check. So uh, what... What, does, uh, what, what could you tell somebody that very few people know about you that you think would be interesting?
2: Um, I picked up a tennis racket at the age of two and a half and haven't put it down since. It was an interesting thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Tennis yeah. is a fun sport. I had, a, I had about three summers uh, here in Michigan where tennis was a highlight of my life. Uh, awesome. Yeah. It's always challenging to find somebody else to play with, though. That's, that ultimately became my downfall.
2: So. yeah i could i could see that for sure um yeah now that's that cool. i'm not in like the collegiate aspect of it anymore it's definitely work to find someone that's like at the same caliber that can actually challenge you and stuff
0: exactly right right because yeah. the um the talent it can, it can either be really good or really bad yeah. <laughs> you know it's like there's not a lot in the middle so yeah you want to definitely play with somebody that's uh that, that, that you can, so you're not just chasing the ball around exactly. the whole
2: time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, cool. Well, awesome. Well, let, let's go ahead and kick it off then. Uh, so, Gannon, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what you are currently raising money for on Kickstarter?
2: Yeah. So, we've created a product called Bass Rock, and it's essentially a hydration backpack that allows you to physically feel any music that either you're listening to at a live event or plugging in your own music, kind of enabling you to have a immersive, physical, Experience with whatever you're doing, um, so it's fit for a three day music festival, or a day mountain biking, or striding on the slopes on your skis.
0: That's cool. So, so what's inside of this thing there? That's ha- like how 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 is this? How am I feeling the music uh, when I'm wearing this?
2: Yeah, I mean, how people have described it is essentially it's like a really strong massager that's along your back. Uh, it's a the electronics themselves are standalone and can be removable, and we've designed that so say you don't want to use that, but you still want to use the backpack, you can take that out. Or say you want to wash the backpack, we want to be able to take out the electronics. Uh, but yeah, it's essentially like a really strong massager that's on your back is the simplest way to describe it.
0: That's cool. And, and how does it interact then with the music? Like, um, Is it just massaging, or my, is it pulsating to a beat, or how's that working?
2: Yeah, good question. So it goes to the base of the music. So if you're at a live event, it'll actually pick up the music that's being played through a microphone, similar to how you sing into a microphone, Um, and then it'll cut out and just listen to the bass and then transmit that bass throughout your body. So it adds kind of like a connection to the music, which is kind of why we're at a live event in the first place is for the whole experience. So Mm -hmm. it kind of takes that to a new level.
0: That's interesting. And, and is there like a, you know, so you mentioned the microphone. So me being a, an audio guy, is there like a crossover that's happening in there so that it's just filtering out, you know, the mid range and the highs and just giving you the lows?
2: Exactly. Yeah. There's just, there's, it's pretty simple when it comes down to it. It just picks it up, cuts out everything except for the base. Um, and then, just amplifies it through your body Um, and it's all analog. So there's nothing like you have to like pair it with like Bluetooth at the event or anything. We designed to be really simple so that one, when a user's at an event, they don't have to kind of have any difficulties with the technical side of it. Um, And then two, if there's any digitizing that takes place, digitizing is like processing the signal um, that it could potentially cause latency, which is something that we obviously don't want.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You don't want the, the bass kicking in a uh, three milliseconds later. It's like it's gonna feel weird. That's yeah. cool. So so when you, when it comes to like mountain biking or I think you know or, or hiking or whatever you're, you're mentioning, like is that something where you can still plug something in, like a, a device in, to actually play from through there?
2: Yeah. Exactly. So you can plug in. So say you're mountain biking, you can plug in your phone, and you can plug in your headphones, so that when you're going down the slopes, it kind of like it's it's really like weird experience that no one's ever felt before, but it kind of makes you feel like one with the mountain is the best way that we've described it and people that use it describe
0: it. That's cool. That's very cool. So let's, let's go back then a little bit. So wh- where did this idea come from? I mean, you know, uh, what what makes you get into the backpack world and then put some speakers in it?
2: Yeah, great question. So my business partner and I, uh, we both went to Cal Poly St. Louis Obispo in central California. And we actually started this as our senior project in college um, it's basically a pairing of entrepreneurships and business students into a room – sorry, engineering students and entrepreneurship students into a room together and basically come up with an idea and see if it's viable. Um, so we got put into the audio space, and my partner originally wanted to do a portable speaker, like a modular portable speaker. and He's the engineer, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so we're going to try to compete with the 10,000 other portable speakers out there. Right. Let's not do that. Um, so we kind of went through the whole process and eventually came to these – cool electronics that basically turn whatever you put them into into a speaker and kind of transmits the music or vibrations through that. Um, So we were originally actually just going to have an insert that people could put into their own backpacks. Uh, But after some feedback of people, and I mean, if you think about it, if it's just an insert in the backpack, then nobody knows what you're wearing and there's no kind of recognition of the product. Right, Uh, Right. So it's kind of a hidden product that would have really hindered us on the branding side. Also, the backpack has as I'm sure you've seen and people can see, is it's designed specifically to optimize those vibrations. So we didn't want someone putting this in a low end backpack and saying this is a terrible product because it didn't fit properly with that backpack. So that's kind of what led us to the backpack stage. And then the hydration reservoir was kind of an easy add on to that. I mean at a music festival it's very highly promoted and encouraged for people to be wearing hydration backpacks is something like 30 to 40 percent of attendees at a festival are already wearing hydration backpacks so one of the key things in kind of entrepreneurship is an easy change of behavior for the customer from one thing to another where they don't have to really sacrifice much
0: right that makes sense No, it all makes sense what about uh security issues i mean getting into festivals i mean it's obviously heightened more and more what's the feedback been like you know, just trying to walk in with this backpack with speakers and, and hydration packs. Is there any sort of kickback from that?
2: Yeah, great question. Uh, so live nation, which is the biggest concert and live music promotion company in the world, just released about, I think about two months ago that they were kind of essentially banning all backpacks from shows due to the reaction from the Ariana Grande thing that happened right. in Manchester. Um, so they made this big kind of PR statement about that. And it was interesting because they said, yeah, we permit backpacks as long as they're, 12 inches by 6 inches, but there's no hydration backpack on the market right now that's within those dimensions. Right. Um, so it kind of puts all of like the umbrella companies underneath them in a tough spot because there's definitely a big push in, about having hydration while at events. Because I mean, say, for example, EDC, where unfortunately there's people that either come extremely close to dying or actually dying every year due to it being 110 degrees outside. Yeah. Um, so Insomniac has—we've spoken with them, and they said Insomniac does a lot of the big EDM events across the country, um, such as EDC, and they've said that we're all hydration brands are permitted. So, kind of going back on their their higher up of Live Nation, um, and then we've actually taken the backpack to—I mean—every big festival on the West Coast, EDC, Coachella. We even went to Stagecoach with it, um, and we haven't had one issue with either the current design, which is the final design, or even back when we had really, like, sketchy-looking prototypes that <laughs> right. potentially could look like a bomb. Like, it's this thing on, like, a ping- thing of plexiglass is right. pretty, pretty comical. But, yeah, no pushback at all, which has been a really positive, positive thing. Um, so we don't see any issue in the future for that happening.
0: That's great. So, you know, a- after you, you and your partner kind of decide, like, you know, there's something here, What what, what is, like, the first step into, you know, prototyping this and getting this kind of piece together to, to see if you actually have something?
2: Yeah, good question. So, I mean, for us personally, kind of the first step was, I mean, look at the market, see if there's anyone else out there, kind of go through the steps of making sure this is new and actually innovative. Um, and then from that, I mean, we had engineers on the team and kind of a part of the class was to make something. So we just bought parts off of Amazon and other wholesale companies um, and just built one as like, minimally as possible it's called like an mvp of minimum viable product it's the most simple thing and the cheapest thing you could possibly make and then we just took it to a show locally here in town and kind of sought wanted to see what people thought about it and it was just like time and time again awesome reactions of no way what is this like wow like let me buy this we had like three people like coming up to us at the, end of the night like i'll buy this right now like this janky prototype that we just put together and somehow worked Um, So that was kind of the first step for us of like, wow, this might actually be something Um, from there. We took it to more events um, and then actually started like being like, wow, this could actually, actually be a company. So definitely the first step is to make something a minimum viable product. I mean, a lot of people are afraid that like what they show the world isn't going to be good enough and always like hold back and keep their doors closed. And like, which is like the last thing you want to do. And then they're also afraid that like someone's going to steal your project. And I mean, Everyone's already thought about everything in the world. Like, there's hundreds of people that have already thought about our exact idea, but nobody's done it and nobody's going to do it. So, I mean, it, it's foolish to hold it back, in our opinion. We, we,
0: we call that the old perfect syndrome. We get that a lot where it's like, I don't want to start anything on Facebook yet until I have my perfect post. It's like, there's what? There's no yeah. such thing. Just put, start the process, man. It'll get better as we go. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. So, you know, because your company is. is, is you know, obviously young and new and, and you're, you're making two different types of things So you've got a, you know, audio component and you've got a backpack component. How challenging is it to, you know, kind of be great at both of those things? You know, almost everything you read is like, focus on one thing, be a great backpack, right? Or whatever it might be. Like, how how do you kind of walk that fine line of being like, no, we're going to be great in both, both fields?
2: Yeah, good question. Um,
0: I mean, it hasn't
2: been the most challenging. thing. It's definitely been a process to get from our original design to where we are now on both the electronics and the backpack. Um, but, I mean, they, we kind of see them as they pair together. So we need to be really good at both of them. So it's just a matter of getting the right people either on our team, on our advisory board, um, or with the right manufacturers that are going to really kind of – make sure that we're doing everything properly along the way. Cause this is our first product. We're not 55 and have been doing manufacturing right. products for 40 years. Yeah. Um, so to kind of combat that, we've made sure the people that we surround ourselves with are experts in their field. So we have a guy on our team that's been designing hydration backpacks for 30 years for big companies like North face and Osprey and stuff like that. Um, and then we have another individual on our team who's head of product realization um, at a company called Sonos, which is based out of Santa Barbara. They're a really big, like high end audio company. And his whole role is to take an idea for the company and make that product be delivered. Um, so between those two guys, like we really have each side of it dialed, which has been really nice. So, I mean, kind of the takeaway from that is make sure if you don't know what you're doing, surround yourself with people that are, which it's okay to not know what you're doing. I mean, you're not going to know everything. So that's what we've done.
0: Uh, and outside of like expertise how do you, like what other attributes do you see in somebody that you want when you want them around your team you know like you know i'm sure i'm sure yeah the greatest experience ever but maybe you can't afford to have that person around but like but like what are other things you look for in somebody
2: Yeah. Good question. Um, so there's kind of, kind of two parts to our team. There's me and my partner and people that actually work on a day to day with us. And then there's our advisory board. People that work on a day to day. I mean, they generally need to be happy and enjoyable people to be around. Is probably the most important thing. Um, I mean, we, our, our city is deemed as the happiest city in America. So if you're not happy living here, then there's definitely a problem. (laughs) Um, And then, I mean, after that comes, like, work ethic and, like, honesty or the next, like, integrity is definitely extremely important. I mean, we want every person, like, things are going to go wrong and you're going to make bad decisions. And it's a matter of just owning up to those and coming together as a team and being like, let's learn from this and let's make this better. Um, I kind of had one of those scare moments on, like, day two of our campaign. We had a great first day launch and then we are coached all the way through of how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. And on The second day, I roll out our Facebook ads, which are supposed to convert at this price point, and we've tested it before and all this stuff, and it wasn't working, and we blew a bunch of money, and I was really stressed out. And I just had to, like, own up to my partner. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I did everything right, and I'm scared. So, like, we came together, and the rest of the team came together, and now we're fortunately in a much more confident position about our advertising campaign. Um, And then for, like, the advisory board, I mean... For them, I mean, basically, we want someone that is obviously very educated in the specific niche that we're bringing them on for, but more so that they're really not in it for themselves. They're in it because they enjoy mentoring and enjoy giving back, and they know that they were there several years ago, and they see this as an opportunity to kind of give back. So that's kind of the most important thing. And then behind that, I mean, of course, they're going to get some compensation or motivation for it, but the core needs to be that they're there to help us, um, which is – yeah.
0: That's cool. That's very cool. So you know are there any like attributes that you think that you have as an entrepreneur that is helping this campaign uh, right now?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, I actually just went up to a convention called Hustlecon up in San Francisco this past weekend. It was the whole premise of it is twenty five hundred startup founders that are sub thirty years old that are hustling and just trying to find a way. Um, and I think that's kind of like at the core of any entrepreneurs, you, I mean, you kind of have to be a little crazy in how hard you work on something that might pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's definitely a strong attribute that me and everyone on our team has is like just working an insane amount of hours. Uh, I mean, for example, like I was just graduated college, had basically no money and I went and lived rent free on a guy's property in a shack for six months, like a shack where there was mice eating my clothes and like I brushed my teeth at Taco Bell every morning. Like it was very interesting, but like you got to be a little bit crazy to like believe in your product so much to make that happen. So I think you got to have deep down inside that. um, And additionally, like I I would definitely say another extremely strong attribute that I, people tell me I have is resilience. Um, Like things are going to go wrong and like you're going to fail at things. And it's just a matter of like, getting past that and not looking at yourself as a failure and I failed everything and so on and so forth and actually move forward from that and actually think logically and move to the next step. Um, I was happy with where we launched. I definitely, everyone has this massive dream in their head of this million dollar campaign and all this stuff. Um, So, I mean, it was definitely a scary moment for me and I kind of went into shock for like 24 hours of like I failed at everything, but to bounce back from that is definitely important Because I mean, if I just kind of crumbled and said, this isn't gonna work, like we're not gonna have enough money, like we're barely gonna get the company moving, um, we wouldn't be where we are now and where we're kind of trending towards. That's cool, that's cool. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Orange County, uh, Southern California. Um, Traveled the country playing tennis my whole life and definitely developed some one really hard work ethic like I was saying from tennis. I mean, you basically had two full-time jobs between school and then you go train for six and seven hours a day. Yeah. And then definitely resilience as well from that. I mean, at tennis you probably play 30 tournaments a year and if you win two you're really good. So you fail a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so intriguing um so for myself I major sports guy but I actually never played like a solo sport, golf, tennis, something like that where it's like just you. How do you feel like tennis has set you up to in, in entrepreneur like to be an entrepreneur considering that, you know, in tennis man, if you you mess up the serve, it's you right? Like yeah. it's you, not, uh, the, the receiver didn't catch the football or whatever, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of, cause again, entrepreneurship is usually working with a big team and stuff like that. How, 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 does that kind of, do you see what you've pulled from tennis in, into, uh, into this business?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of see tennis as a lot more of an easy caveat in entrepreneurship compared to like going into the corporate world where, I mean, at the end of the day, it's your business and, what you put in is what you're going to get out. And you can't, I mean, the corporate world, you can kind of push your jobs off and kind of get by and not do that much. Right. Um, Kind of similar to say in a soccer match or something where you have your team and it's not just you, but in entrepreneurship, I mean, if you're one of the founders, like it is up to you to make that company happen. It either failed because of you or it succeeded because of you. Obviously there's external things that can happen, but I mean, that's, that's kind of something that I've, lived my whole life and I think it's a perfect caveat in entrepreneurship and it'll be interesting to see how our team grows over time and kind of how that plays a role in it I mean initially when we first started off we had four or five people on the team and then we cut it down to just two which I preferred because it wasn't a discussion to make a decision every time now because I can just say this is what I think we should do on the marketing side this is what we're going to do and it's going to fail or succeed because of me.
0: It's funny you mentioned that. You just kind of gave some um, validity to something we're dealing with here uh, inside of Woodshed. Is some of our clients that have these big teams? You know, um, we can't get the ball. Bo- I can't. I can't get a project to launch. Like, yeah, everybody's got an opinion, and none of our are experts on this. Where my teams that have like two people, I can. You know, we're up successful and within like six months. You know, or whatever it is, four months, and it's just like, man, I don't need to hear from some tenth intern. <laughs> who read the email and she thinks it's a little wrong. It's like, you know, uh, yeah. So interesting. You're validating something that we're having a discussion point. (laughs) Uh, That's that's cool. So what did your parents do?
2: So my father is in the mortgage business. He runs his own company. It's not really, I would say a startup. It's definitely more of a small business and I Uh can kind of go into what the difference in my perspective of those two are. Um, but yeah, he just, does mortgages and refinances a home? Um, he was actually a immigrant from Canada. Um, interesting story, kind of like being scrappy with entrepreneurship. I think is kind of a good good path to go down. But yeah. he actually studied abroad in Hawaii his senior year. Studied abroad, air quotes, um, and then came here. And after, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar that viewers are familiar with how a visa works. First, you have a student visa for a year, then you have one year to get a company to sponsor your work visa here in the States. And if that doesn't happen, then you got to go back to your country. Um, So obviously this was earlier days when there's less regulations, but he started his company under his buddy's name and then used his company to fund his visa. (laughs) Um, So kind of just like, there's always a way is kind of the the takeaway from that. I mean, regardless of the situation, you can find a way.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And how about your mom? What'd she do?
2: Um, she was in the kind of leasing of large high-rise buildings for a while, and then she took the more path of raising me and my two brothers throughout our life. And then she yeah. actually went back to work about about ten years to, ten years ago, once we all went to college or high school at least and less busy. Um, and that was definitely a humbling experience for her because at the time, my brother, who's three years older than me, was he was a beach lifeguard and he was making something like twenty bucks an hour my mom, who's in her 40s at the time, was having to go work a entry-level job at minimum wage. So it was a humbling experience for her that her 18-year-old son is making twice the amount of money she's making. Right. Wow. Um, so I mean, kind of the takeaway from that is don't ever think you're above something. I mean, you got to start somewhere. And now from that, in the past several years, she's grown to kind of be one of the C-levels of that company. So That's cool. definitely, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you've got that Entrepreneur spirit running through the whole family. It sounds like there, in terms of like work and 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 grinding it out and doing whatever you got to do. Are there any other influencers or you know people in business that 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 you look up to and are inspired by?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there's the standard ones. Like Elon Musk is definitely a really cool one. I was actually down in the area when he launched the rocket yesterday, which was oh, cool. a really cool experience. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's just an incredible guy and outside of him, I mean, we're, we're not going up here in an incubator in central California um, for all the viewers that aren't familiar with an incubator. It's basically a, a location where there's 30 plus startups in a space and you get cheap subsidized rent and access to a bunch of mentors in the area to help you out. Um, so from that, I mean, we've been introduced to some just amazing people that we have absolutely no business talking to. Um, and I mean, all of them just have a different look on life and it's just been awesome to hear them and kind of see where they started and see where they are now. And I mean, just the the core of every single one of them is like, you got to hustle and like, don't be bigger than you think you are and kind of leave your pride at the door and get in here and do stuff that you wouldn't like be bragging about to your friends.
0: Right, right, right. That's cool. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and how did you work that in terms of getting your startup to be part of an incubator? Is there like a process you had to go through or how does that happen?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's typically just the application process. So ours was kind of, this one's kind of affiliated with the college that we went to. Uh, So we went from the program on campus to a three-month accelerator program, which is basically you get a little bit of seed investment money and and three months of working your freaking brains out and seeing if this is actually going to work or not. Um, so that's kind of like the first thing. There's a lot of big accelerators out there. There's Techstars, which is an international one. There's Y Combinator, which is the biggest one up in the Bay, which is San Francisco. Um, yeah, there's a lot of big ones, but you basically just, just apply to it. And um, Obviously, each one has its certain niche. Like we applied to a Techstars music one. Uh, fortunately, didn't get in. But that's definitely like... If I was to do a startup again in the future, which I hope to do, is definitely get into an accelerator because the support and the energy around you just makes you work a lot harder. And you have the opportunity to get the connections through those people. That's cool.
0: Now, now you and I talked a few months ago. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys had a different name at the time. Was there a name change over the yeah. before you launched the Kickstarter?
2: Yeah, it was previously called Spectrum. But it was a Spectrum with a V where the U should be. So Spectrum. Um, so, yeah, we had to go through a rebrand, uh, which was definitely the right decision. It was a, definitely a hard decision to do. Um, the two issues that we had with our previous name was the phonetic misspelling of it. We had an issue with, like, if you typed it in on your iPhone, it would autocorrect the spectrum. So it was right, right. really frustrating on that end. And then we also didn't have the .com. We got a .co, which was... Not the call. Um, if you don't get a .com, which I would recommend anyone who's starting a company to find a way to get a .com within similar to your, your URL. Um, don't do .co because everyone automatically types .com. Yep. Um, so like we don't have Base Rock right now. It's actually our URL is called Git Base Rock, um, mm-hmm. but it's better to have the .com for sure.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I was wondering uh, what the, maybe if what the story was behind the scenes on that name change, and I, I think you made a good decision uh, for somebody who typed spec from or whatever a couple <laughs> times, uh, to, you know, to reach out to you. I, I had the issue, yeah, so yeah. very cool. <laughs> well, well, let's let's flip a little bit over to the actual Kickstarter. You know, um, so you know, right now you're at. Just I mean you're over 60k with 30 some days to go so you know a lot of backers are, are jumping on board here you've got a ton of momentum going on what was a what was kind of the general pre marketing strategy before you launched
2: yeah good question so we've been working on this full time for about a year and it was pretty early on that we decided that we we're going to go to Kickstarter and launch a campaign um, so basically my first step was to reach out to people who have run successful Kickstarters or crowdfunding campaigns get their feedback tell us like what to do, basically. Um, so initially it was, we need to build a community. That's like the biggest messaging for a pre-launch campaign is get a big email list, build a community that's going to buy it on day one and be your biggest brand ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So we did that by, I mean, basically every single day I would go onto our company Instagram account and I made a variety of other accounts and just send direct messages to people that have liked pages that are interested in the space that we're going into. Um, So I would just hit up people that have liked the big festival pages and said, hey, we'd love to have you be a part of our community. And one of the things that we did that, I mean, I'm sure other people have done, but it's a little bit different is, we actually had everyone that we asked to be a part of the community, not just be like, hey, cool, this is what we're doing, buy it in six months. We actually had them be a part of the process all the way along the way. And ask them to give feedback about every design decision for the product. So it really felt like they were a part of bringing this thing to life, which was extremely beneficial for kind of building a really strong community. And additionally, I mean, now it's up to about 6,000 people, and we have a 6,000 person focus group of our target market to ask questions to and make educated and informed decisions for the product.
0: That's cool. Was there, out of that, was there anything that was just, you know, monumental? Like data that you got?
2: Um, I mean, we really kind of got to hone in on exactly what our target market was. I mean, initially when we had these people sign up, we were having them answer a 15 question survey of like, what age are you? What interests you about this product, price point, all this stuff. And from that, it really gave us a good base of like who we should be reaching out to in the future. Um, And then once we started our advertising campaign, we were ever able to leverage our knowledge there to kind of target the right people. Um, But I mean, that was just an awesome learning experience. And, Another thing is like we culminated all these people into a Facebook group versus liking our Facebook fan page. Um, and at the time, I had had no idea this was the case, but it was an awesome kind of stumbling in the right direction that a Facebook fan page, when you post something, somebody might see it that likes it. They might not, especially with Facebook's new kind of edge ranking rules where they only expose it to a certain number of people in your in your page versus if you have a Facebook group with everybody in it. When you post in that Facebook group, not only will everybody see it on their feed, but they'll actually get a notification that you posted in it. So it's a lot stronger than a fan page. And there's been a lot of kind of proof that that's kind of trending in the future for where a lot of the companies should be going. And Facebook just released a lot more analytics on the group side, which was really fortunate for us.
0: Yep, that's that uh, and this is why we do the episode because Facebook changed something and you got to <laughs> you got to, you know, swim with it, you know, don't swim against it. So yeah, that that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I was just reading a whole bunch of uh, the other day on on the analytics that that, that you're going to be able to get and and I think you can actually you now schedule posts to groups like they're they're starting to open up some of the features, so that that's, that's going to awesome. be going to be a powerful thing coming down the pipeline. So yeah. in terms of like a um you, you know kind of going to kickstarter, what was the mindset of, you know, raising money it, this way instead of maybe through VC or you know, so, you know, private money or whatever it might be um, you know, why why crowdfunding for this for this product?
2: Yeah, good question. So we have raised kind of early stage investor seed money before this launch in order to kind of get us where we are today. The biggest purpose of launching this campaign is to get a large number of pre-order sales in a short period of time that we can then take that amount of money and go to our manufacturer and be able to place an order. Um, I mean, I don't people that are just getting into the space of manufacturing, I mean, we had a ton to learn and we maybe know half a percent of the whole pie right now but like you need to have a large order to have a manufacturer consider taking you on uh, manufacturers are very risk adverse and a startup is very risky so you need to kind of show to them that you are going to be successful um, so that was our kind of our biggest thought process get a lot of sales so we can go to a manufacturer and they'll actually take us on
0: that's cool and, and for something like that is did you have resources to to know where to go to get a backpack mass mass produce i mean again i feel like that's just a gigantic step for an average person to just go yeah i'm gonna make <laughs> i'm gonna order 500 of something you know
2: yeah no it, it's absolutely like terrifying of like okay i'm gonna make a backpack like yeah you just right. make it you know like, yeah, you just right. make it like that's what everyone th- like no like i don't know um so kind of the two things that were most beneficial to us or i guess there was three things was One, from the mentor network here, we talked to people who've had experience in manufacturing and, like, how we go about doing that. So that was extremely helpful. And we got introductions to the actual, the two manufacturers that we're using for the electronics and the backpacks were actually introductions from our our mentor network. Uh, But to kind of start off and just get the ball rolling and start to kind of understand this big gray area, Uh, my partner was all on that side. But what he did was he would just Google search, like, Manufacturers of electronics, and he just talked to anybody under the sun possible. We talked to people that we had no business talking to that are doing production for Walmart products and doing five hundred thousand units a year, and then right. we talked to people that are a mom and pop shop, like in the in the valley or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, kind of like the takeaway from that would be just start talking to people and you're not going to know anything and just ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. And you'll slowly start to get a general understanding about it. Um, and then eventually you'll get to a position where you can kind of make Let's, an educated decision.
0: Let me ask you a question about that because – um, considering that I do a healthy amount of you know free calls and I do videos, I've actually found that what you're describing is probably one of the hardest things for people to do—to just literally call anybody. And I'm always, I always, I'm always encouraging it. And I think it's that vulnerability. It's that you know, or that ah, I just don't want to waste somebody's time. And I don't, you know, but but I mean, you and I have chatted, right? Like you reached out to yeah. me, we talked for a while. Like that attribute that you and your team have you know, is that something that you think could be coached into somebody or, or do you just have it? Like, I love talking, you know, we've talked, like, I like talking to people. (laughs) You just don't know where it's going to go, but I don't know if that can be taught in some, some people. So given do you have a thought on that at all?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, my partner and I's whole philosophy since we started this is, yeah, we have a college degree, but at the end of the day, we don't know anything and we need to ask people who know things. Yeah. Um, so don't be afraid to like, yeah, just get out and ask people. I mean, what we were bred in this program that we went through is you got to get out of the building and ask questions. You make an assumption about something, but that's likely not going to be the case once you either start talking to your customers. Um, yeah, it's definitely a vulnerability thing. Um, and I mean, a lot of people, and this is kind of like bred into Some is like, the fear of failure and like a lot of people go get the comfortable job that gets the paycheck and never go out and do an entrepreneurial thing because it's absolutely terrifying because right. like one out of every hundred startups or succeed in the first year like the, the numbers are very stacked against you Yeah, um, and it's just like getting past that fear of failure um, and it could definitely be coaching to someone but like you're going to fail time and time again and it's you just got to be okay with looking yourself in the eyes and say I'm better than anybody else that didn't try at the end of the day because it's one thing to pour your heart into something and for it to fail, but it's another thing to kind of not try and say, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I failed that because I didn't really try. But like you pour your heart into it. Um, Yeah. I mean, just be vulnerable. Like my, one of my life mottos and with the backdrop on my computer is life begins when your comfort zone ends. Um, yeah. And it's really pushing and growing yourself is where what's going to help you grow as a person. Yeah.
0: Are there any uh, books that you're reading that you think uh, other entrepreneurs would be into?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, kind of back on what I was just saying about getting out and asking questions to your customers and stuff. There's one that's a really easy to read. You can find a PDF online. It's called the Mom Test, like the Mother Test, the Mom Test. And it's like a hundred question, a hundred page book that basically tells you how to ask questions to people that are not going to get responses that your mom would give you where that sounds great, honey. Yeah. Do that. Like that kind of stuff um, to get real answers out of people. So that would definitely be a high recommendation. I recommend that to any early on startup founder. That's just kind of getting into the space for sure. Um, How to win friends and influence people is definitely a Dale Carnegie famous book. Uh Um, I mean, I've probably read that book about five times by now and you take something new away from it every time. Um, and that's the, the, I mean, for someone that hears the word, how to win friends and influence people, that sounds like a negative book, like the title of it. Yeah. But I mean, it's all about just like how to get people to like you and how to like communicate to other people you care about them. So then they help you get what you want.
0: I mean, I'm intrigued on that. I'm I'll have to look that up after. this. One of, one of our things here is... um we try to write all of our language so that my mom would understand it. Like, like my, my mom's name is Cookie. So it's like, can Cookie understand this? And if she can't get it, then nobody else will get it. You know, if she gets it, then everybody else will get it, you know. So yeah. we, that's our mom test here for for our language and copywriting. It's like,
2: that's funny. You know, that's smart. Yeah.
0: So many people go inside baseball. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know what you're in. I don't know what the, the hookups of your speaker things are. I just want to know, do they... Can I feel it on my back? You know. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So, well, that's cool. That's cool. So, you know, what does scale look like for Base Rock? I mean, what do you guys talk about amongst you guys stuff in terms of scale?
2: Yeah, good question. I mean, so the plan for us is to just like any startup, launch and then grow as fast as possible, as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, our vision, kind of past Kickstarter, because I mean, Kickstarter is just like step one. Yep. Um, Prove the market, get sales, get the ball rolling, is go out and raise a more serious round of funding once we have proof that people want to buy this thing, which is what our Kickstarter is. From there, it's getting the product out in next festival season and either vending at all the big festivals next year or having some collaboration with them where a lot of people can try the product out. Um, There's a lot of interesting other kind of business models and revenue models outside of just selling a product for a price um, a lot of people who have expressed, like, I love this. I mean, I only go to a festival a year, maybe every other year, so I probably wouldn't pay the money for it. But, like, if you were at an event and I could rent it for 30 bucks for the day, like, that would be sure. amazing. Um, so that's a really cool opportunity that we look to pursue. Um, but kind of the dream of Bass Rock is to be so in every single festival that we have. There's a festival of 200,000 people, and half those people are wearing Bass Rocks because it's a really... It's a really amazing experience when the person next to you is also wearing it. And you know, I mean, it's one thing to connect and sing along to the music at a live event, which is like sends chills down people's back. But to be connected on another level of this like immersive physical experience where everyone's kind of like almost like thumping on like the same heartbeat to this music is really sure. like it's like a really movie experience. And that's kind of where we see the product and live music moving in the future.
0: That's cool. And, and then I guess also for, for bass rock. Where do you guys see yourself going into other products? Like, what does five years look like? Ten years look like? um, Gotcha. You know, for for a company.
2: Yeah. So for us, I mean, one of the things that we did early on is we purposely designed the electronics to be modular. So I mean, the hard part is designing the electronics. The easy part is designing the backpack we could design a new soft goods backpack in a few weeks, a few months if we need to. Um, So we see a lot of other like potential markets that this could go into where we just design a different backpack for it. I mean, the school market, kind of the high school market has expressed a lot of interest in it. Designing one for running that's a lot smaller and lighter working out. um, There's a lot of different potential kind of outdoor activity-based things that we could design a backpack for. And then moving forward, I mean, definitely to stay relevant, we need to update our electronics, which will happen with the next generation, and then eventually come out with something new. Um, there's been a lot of things thrown around, and definitely like a lot of things that we could potentially be interested in pursuing. But right now, um, I mean, it's, it's foolish for us to get excited about right. something else when we're not even to first base on, sure. on base
0: rock. Yeah. So uh, it, it, how, how do you – How or I guess – meaning that you have a, a bit of a tech company to, yeah, outside of backpack. So how do you guys prepare for technology changing so fast? You know, I mean, it could be obsolete tomorrow. I mean, for everybody. Right. So like, how do you guys prepare for that? Or can you prepare for it maybe?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I would kind of say more on the side of that you, you can't really prepare for it. I mean, you can obviously be educated and stay up with the times and try to adjust accordingly. Uh, I mean, for example, like one thing on our backpack is this one isn't Bluetooth compatible and we had already designed the electronics by the time that the iPhone, I think it was iPhone 7 that came out without an aux cord. So that was like a bummer of like, okay, is technology trending in this direction? Potentially, yes. Um, So, I mean, there's going to be things that the bigger companies in the world are going to adjust either on on the product side or on the marketing side. I mean, like... With Facebook, I mean their their stuff is ever changing, and that's the biggest advertising channel out there today. Uh, so it's just a matter of really staying up to up to date with the times. And I mean, things are going to change, and it might hurt your company, it might help your company, uh, but it's all about just kind of taking that and adjusting accordingly. And I mean, it's it's the people that kind of get stuck at that wall that put up and put up in front of them that are not going to make it. Um, so I mean, it's it's kind of a positive thing. Where, continue to learn and continue to grow right
0: right so with 30 days to go or 31 days ago i should say um what is the strategy to keep the momentum going you know not to let this thing stall out you know to raise as much money as possible what's the strategy right now
2: yeah good question so i mean going to the campaign i've talked with anybody under the sun about this kind of stuff and they kind of tell you like obviously you're gonna have a big drop off after your first day you have all these people excited you get a bunch of sales and then it kind of plummets, and then you don't get that many sales throughout the campaign, and then it kind of spikes at the end is the typical trend for a Kickstarter or any crowdfunding campaign. Um, And kind of how you keep that that valley as high as possible. Um, Kind of the biggest thing that we've been told is just you need an advertising budget to be able to spend. Specifically, the best, most successful one that we've been told is Facebook ads, and that's where we've allocated all of our time and money. Um, So we have a large marketing budget. For Facebook ads, so that's going to kind of be where the majority of our sales are driven from for the kind of headed future. Um, we're talking with some influencers right now on Facebook that would be posting our video as well um, mm-hmm. to kind of keep keep the momentum high. So, I mean, basically our biggest strategy right now is Facebook ads. So, but with that, I mean, you obviously need to be making money to spend money with Facebook ads. So, it was an adjustment over the past week and a half to get us to where we are now, where we need. A cost per acquisition, which is basically how much money you spend to get a sale at a certain price point in order to kind of validate, continue to spend money on that. So that's where the majority of our sales are going to be coming moving forward. And I can get into all the nitty gritty <laughs> if we want to on that, but I'll keep it high level.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, how about just one thing? But how is there, a, is there a tip or technique on how you actually monitor that you're getting an actual sale from a Facebook ad?
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, on Kickstarter's, Kickstarter's back end, there's it's called the dashboard and you can basically create custom links that you then put into your advertising on Kickstarter or on Facebook that can track your sales into your Kickstarter. Um, so you can monitor how much money you spent that day, how many sales you got and then just kind of divide those two to gotcha. see how much cost per sale. But one kind of learning lesson that we took away, um, and I'm not going to say it's off of extremely strong hard data, but it's kind of what we're doing moving forward is, Although like you bring them in on that specific link, they're not necessarily always going to buy and get correlated back to that link. Um, So like say last week we were really stressed out because our ads were costing us this much to get a sale, which was like extremely high. Um, But like after speaking with some of the big marketing firms out there, I kind of learned that like. Not even like half of your sales are really going to be tracked to that link necessarily. So once I kind of brought that into consideration, like the only thing we're running right now is Facebook ads. So all of our traffic is from that. Um, That was a really big learning experience that I wish I would have known going into it that kind of sent us on a roller coaster the past two weeks testing a bunch of different ads and stuff.
0: Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, you got to learn somehow, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. So where can, um, well, I guess a couple more questions here and then we'll, we'll wrap up. But, um, you know, how about for you personally? I mean, you mentioned it earlier that you'd love to start maybe another startup down the road. And obviously we're we're, we're looking way down in the future and, and all that stuff. But, but, like, where do you see yourself in 10 years from now?
2: Yeah, I mean, the dream for me is to get as many startups under my belt. Um, I mean, kind of the goal of any startup is either you either have a lifestyle business that you run for the next 50 years, which is completely awesome and really inspirational. My specific dream and what other people choose is to kind of grow the company, sell the company, or IPO the company, um, which makes it means go public, um, and then start again and do it over again. Um, so that's kind of more of the path that I think is really interesting. I, I mean, I'm really interested in a lot of different spaces that I'd love to, love to dabble in. Um, so I mean, 10 years from now, the dream would be to grow bass rock and have it be a sustainable business so that when I left it, it would continue to kind of revolutionize people's experience of music and then continue into other spaces. And I mean, the eventual dream is to have kind of in my eyes, enough credibility to mentor people and give back and teach people. Um, I mean, I I would love to be a teacher at the university I went to and I, I really get really excited and really passionate about talking to other people about my experiences, um, and kind of helping them and, the time that I used to be in. And and I mean, that's why I took this opportunity. I mean, I hopefully anyone that listens to this has at least one nugget that they take away from it. Right. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of, kind of the vision for me in the future is to grow companies, make them sustainable and move into the next one.
0: That's cool. That's, that that sounds like a heck of a 10 year plan. So where can people (laughs) find more info outside of Kickstarter? Where can people kind of dive into your guys' world?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess the biggest thing that they could do if you really want to see like, our community would be to go onto Facebook and either join the Bass Rock Rave Fam or the Bass Rock Outdoor Fam uh, we've have two different ones for the people that are heavy in music festivals or heavy in the outdoors um, that's where we post like, the most like, real content that's like a lot less like marketing and a lot more just like what's up guys this is Gannon this is what's going on like, you guys are awesome we'd love to get your feedback on this um, that's where I would recommend that anyone kind of wants to get an inside look on the company is to go there.
0: Cool, very cool, very cool. Well, Gannon, we did it. I think we put together a pretty good episode here. Um, <laughs> and ha- that's cool. And, and how about um, you know, real quick, if you want to just uh, link to the website, is there any special thing on the URL, or just go to Kickstarter and uh, search Base Rock?
2: Yeah, I would just type in Kickstarter Base Rock, and that would that would get you to the page. You can also search gitbaserock dot com, but that'll just redirect you right to the Kickstarter. So whichever one's easier.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I think I think we're going to have a, a, my listeners are going to be really into checking out this product because you know it, it, me having a 20 year music career uh, prior to crowdfunding uh, we've got a lot a lot of people in the emails that, that love the old music in the festival world. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day, man. This was a great conversation and uh, and uh, I wish you continued success for the next 30 days and and on into the future, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for the opportunity, Jeff. No problem. Thanks. All right. That's how we do it. I told you, that was a great, great interview. I um, really was even thinking a little bit more about us, our discussion on how solo sports plays into entrepreneurship, tennis, golf, and, and me coming from more of a group sports background. Um, so, really, I don't know, that that really stuck in my mind. So, I already mentioned a little bit, the song we'll listen to is a song called Woman. It features uh, Corey Gold on vocals, and um, I personally haven't heard this song in quite some time, so uh, yeah, you and I will be enjoying it at the same time here. So, um All right, enjoy And I will talk to you all Next week I don't
1: know what to say But where do I